You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. Today's Bible reading is one that many of us will be familiar with. The passage is taken from Psalms 23. I'll be reading from the CSB version. Uh, Please follow along in your own Bibles, and the passage will also be displayed on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that your word is living and that, uh, that you're a God who speaks. And I pray, Lord, as we hear from it today, that we'll be convicted, that your spirit will convict our hearts of the truths in Psalm 23, but also just convict us to be a people that... that Let's just live less for ourselves and live more for you. We pray that now in your son's name. Amen. Uh, a few years back, I was on holidays in Bali. Who's, who's been to Bali here? You guys been, yeah, a few people in the room. You know, Aussies go to Bali because they want to soak up the sun, get a Southern Cross tattoo, and, you know, be a reckless in high scooters and all that. Uh, that's not what I did in Bali. Um, I didn't get a tattoo, but we did enjoy Bali for the nature, and we explored it. We uh, did adventurous things like cycling through villages, visiting uh, waterfalls and all that. It was really beautiful. I love Bali because of the, the nature side of things, the jungle and all that. Uh, there was one thing we did do. We, uh, we hiked up the side of a volcano. It's something that a lot of tourists do over there in Bali. Uh, it just so happened that the day we booked, though, uh, no tourists had booked that time slot. Uh, we booked at a later time because we were cheap and trying to save money, um, but it was a time where the sun was already up. Most people go for the you know, sunrise, and so we booked a time just after sunrise, and people were coming back down as we were going up. And the reason why you don't book that time is because it's super, super hot. But we did it. Uh, we had a private tour guide that meant, like just one tour guide for just two people, uh, myself and my wife Heidi. And we climbed up this volcano called uh, Mount Batur. It's the third highest in Bali, something we thought we could manage. The sun was out, it was really hot, there were parts along the track that got really steep, there was no actual path, it's just this mountain that you're climbing, there was loose dirt and rock, is black, it was really slippery, got into our, our Nike sneakers at the time, we weren't prepared for it, alright, if we're honest with ourselves, we were, we were really unfit as well, okay, so we're going up this mountain, uh, getting sunburned, getting eaten by mosquitoes, and we're huffing and puffing. And this young 22-year-old, this local Balinese tour guide, Gus, he was with us. And he was wearing a long sleeve shirt, long pants, no hat, no sunscreen, looking so bored. And just scrolling Facebook, waiting for us to catch up to him. <laughs> While we're, you know, he was barely breaking a sweat. Uh, 
there's a point in the hike, uh, walking up this mountain, where Heidi just, my wife, she just wanted to give up. She was hungry and thirsty and started to say things like, we're going to die. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you've ever exercised with Heidi, she does more talking than exercise. That's just her, uh, not gaslighting her or anything. Like she, she'll confirm it too. Like she, she's, she's um, exaggerates. But yes, there were so many moments, right, where her legs didn't want to move. She, she wanted to turn back. She wanted to just give up because it was just so tiring. It was just too scary. It was just simply so too difficult. But what kept her going? And I asked her this after, what, what kept you going? And she said, it was actually, it was actually Gus's confidence. Bring tourists up this volcano, this slippery, hot, slippery volcano was his day job. He knows what he's doing, where he's going. He knows what parts are, are slippery, which parts are dangerous. And while Gus knows what he's doing, he also knows what tourists are like. He knows that at some points along the hike, we'll be tempted to give up. He knows to bring extra water in his backpack to keep us hydrated. He knows to keep pushing us even when we complain and cry out for the helicopter. Even when Heidi felt like she was going to die, we fixed our eyes. She fixed out her eyes on Gus's confidence. And each step she took, she, she made it. Before we knew it, she made it to the top. Two sweaty, sunburned, unfit Aussies, 20,000 feet above the ground on top of this Balinese volcano. It was crazy. But isn't that how we also get through life as well, when things get hard? Where do we look to for confidence? Yeah, some of us, we, we might look to our family, our, our friends for advice, even our therapist. Some might, in more unhealthy ways, turn to our devices, our addictions, that bottle of red, hel- helping it get us through another day, giving us confidence to keep going. What does it look like for you, for, for you if you're a Christian, when things get hard? I mean, it's a question we need to ask. When you just want to give up and can't keep going, where are you putting your confidence and hope to keep on carrying on? When the fear is so paralyzing and the struggle is too much and there are days that you wonder, when will this climb ever end? When can I find some solace for my soul? Like Sam said, Psalm 23 is a very popular psalm, isn't it? We all know it, hopefully. It's one of the Bible's most famous psalms. It's read at funerals and all that. But what if we understood this psalm for our souls and for our hearts and understood that it's not just for, for, for the dying, but it's for the living as well? As we get through life each day, can we come to the psalm and see it as a, a, certain, a, a type of soul food that will give us warmth and comfort even in the darkest of times, just as it was intended, as, as it was written for us? The writer of this psalm is, is King David. He penned this psalm for us. Uh, and, and by way of context, uh, Psalm 22 is, is just before Psalm 23. Uh, gives us a bit of an idea. In Psalm 22, uh, he, he shares his struggles. He cries out to God. It's that, um, that well-known verse, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from Psalm 22. Psalm 23 then begins on that note. There's a tone of distress and fear, but 23 is, is a response to it. it, it it's, it's one that calls a reader to, to feel the words of Psalm 22, yes, but then to come and depend on the great shepherd, to find confidence in him, in the one that has gone before us. Let's read the first three verses again. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. This is King David, king of Israel. He writes this for us. When you think of kings, right, they have the position of leading their people. 
But when you think of kings, they're, they're also like shepherds for the people in ancient Israel. They govern, they decide, they go into battle, and that's how they lead. But David writes to a culture too. He knows that it's agrarian, right? It's agricultural. They, they live in a time of history where it's farming and cultivating the land, very different to ours. So he's using this language. He calls God his shepherd. Not just the shepherd, my shepherd. God leads David. God is David's king. And there's this personal relationship, me, my, I, all this personal language that David uses. There's, this, there's, this, uh, there's a greater king, essentially, over Israel. I love this because what David is recognizing for Israel to, to also acknowledge is there is, a, there is a God behind the throne. In David's eyes, God is a true leader of Israel, the one that David bows to. Yes, David's the king. He's, he's the one that has the, the, the position. But he's also a sheep. He's also in the care of a greater shepherd. He needs God to lead him like the rest of us plebs, right? I need the powerful God to lead us, to restore our souls. David is humbling himself before God with his opening verses, and I love that. No matter how, how high we, we climb, we can still sit before God, our shepherd. But he speaks about where his shepherd leads as well. Being in the, in the Middle East, we're reading this in the Middle East, he's thinking, we're thinking landscape that's you know, deserty, dry, mountainous. You know, shepherds have to lead their flocks far and wide to find streams of water, lush green pastures. And we, we're picturing these green pastures, right? There's still waters. It's like an oasis in the desert. God leads David. And he leads us as God's people to places where we can be refreshed where we can find restoration for our, for our weary souls. Now, this, this language of sheep is, is something I'm not very familiar with because I grew up in a city, but I'm sure there are people here from New Zealand, right? New Zealanders, yeah, yeah, give us a shout. No, no, no yeah, a few over here. Now, New Zealand, I've been there on holiday, and uh, I was reading about this online that there are more sheep than people there, right? I think we all know that. The highest ratio of sheep to people in the world, it's five to one sheep to people. That's crazy. That's a lot of sheep. Um, but if you went to New Zealand, you'd understand, right, why the sheep are there. They're just rolling hills of green pastures everywhere you go. So beautiful, so scenic and lush. If you were a sheep living there, man, that's like a five-star hotel, right? Now, it might sound really strange to us when it says, you know, it, he makes us lie down in green pastures for a sheep that's lying down on a bed of food. Like, that's, well, you know, what's your... Like, what do you think of? You know, what's your favorite food right now? Ramen? Fried chicken? Man, imagine. Imagine lying on a bed of that, like, you know, having a bath in ramen. And you wake up, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> then you lie down, sleep, wake up, nom, nom. Like, wow. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Sleeping on a bed of food. But that's what the sheep get to experience. That, that's a picture of green pastures, still waters, a picture of abundance and provision. A God is a God who provides for his people having our every need met so you lack nothing. It's a picture of a shepherd who spiritually leads us and, and sheep who are dependent on that shepherd to provide. He leads us down the right paths, it says, the paths of righteousness, and our souls are restored when we are in his presence. And when he does that for us, when he renews our lives, restores us, he does it for his name's sake. He's a God who lives up to his reputation, a God abounding in love, generosity, and that, that's his character. The psalmist acknowledges that about our God. And so for the weary-hearted, we, we carry our anxieties and our stress and our burdens, and we feel the weight, don't we, of meeting expectations and putting on a brave face. We take it all on, take it all in, and our souls are tired, exhausted. 
exhausted of the brokenness around us. And we keep climbing, and we keep searching, and we keep accumulating, but we find ourselves still empty and still unfulfilled. You know, the psalmist here, he invites us to come to God and find rest. He is our shepherd. He meets our every need. We're able to give ourselves over to God and trust in his leadership that he will provide for us. But David is also honest, isn't he? He knows that the green pastures aren't always green, that it's still okay with God around. Because even though they're not green sometimes, he will bring security and comfort for the sheep. Verse 4, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The shepherd not only feeds, but he also protects. David in this psalm, he's got this image he gives us. Sheep being led through a dark valley with, with bandits, you know, hiding around every corner. Predators, dangerous animals. That's what you're, you have to imagine here through the valleys. Enemy lurking around any corner. I imagine it to be a bit like, like Gotham City. I don't know if you... Gotham City, it's not real. But Gotham City, right? It's a place where like, there's one hero, Batman, and there's all these villains that hate Batman, and he just has to keep fighting. There's so many of them. Why? But that's Gotham, right? It's a place of criminals. Right? And I think of that dark valley where you just, there's just baddies everywhere, bad guys everywhere. But maybe our dark valleys look more like the darkness that we experience in life. Maybe the dark valleys are those moments uh, where we feel loneliness and that anxiety and that trauma, the feeling of of our bowels churning inside of us, the feeling of hopelessness and and sorrow and insecurity and misery, where we can't, it's really hard to face tomorrow, where we're taking another step is filled with sometimes irrational fear, fear of shame and fear of what people think about us, fear of not making it, fear of loss fear of trying and failing, fear of being unimportant in this world, fear of being unloved, the fear of being abandoned. What are the feelings you walk through? What are the valleys you walk through? You know, when you think about life and and the crises that we've experienced in life, we're still here, aren't we? And we look back and, and we see God's fingerprints in our lives. How did God sustain you through it? And aren't you better for it? Don't you feel stronger, more resilient? Your character was tested? You know, we go through life, and if life was all just green pastures and our character wasn't tested, there is no growth, is there? We need the valleys in life. The valleys in life actually point us to the shepherd. It's through the dark valleys that we've had to learn to persevere and uh, and we experience them to grow in courage and strength. And for for the Christian, it's the valleys that help us really depend even more on the shepherd who leads us. We're not alone. And God knows those valleys, and he guides us through them. There is no fear when we have God with us. His rod and his staff is shepherd's weapon of choice. He protects us. We're safe with him. There's safety and security. I don't know what you're going through right now. Some of us might be feeling it right now. We're going through that valley. We're feeling the anxiety of our future. Great sorrow, insecurity, relationships, spousal problems, whatever it might be. God says, you can be secure when you're in my presence. You have nothing to fear, for I'm with you. I find that a really hard lesson. It's a hard one, because when we, the, the higher we rise up, the more we achieve in life, sometimes it's easy to, 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 to actually think, hey, we're the ones getting us through our valleys. But we'll look at King David. He's the king. He made it to the top of the corporate ladder. 
It's not the kingdom, it's not his powers, it's not his possessions, not his wives or his friends and comfort that, that comfort him. They don't give him security. His comfort isn't in the things he has come to possess or the title of king. Why would we find comfort in our status? Those things are so temporary. But don't we do that still? Don't we find comfort in, in those little letters that would come after our name, after we've accomplished something great, our studies? We work so hard, get to the top, we get the plaque on the door, your CEO now, your chief surgeon, your managing consultant, whatever. Well, imagine becoming the king of Israel. But David, he still finds his security and comfort in the shepherd over his life. Because he knows tomorrow he could lose it all. And for him to lose it all, he's still not at a loss. He's already won in life because he's got God and he's enough. Teaches us something, doesn't it? The valleys might potentially lead to, to I know for, for some people, the valleys might lead to people getting angry with God, right? Or, God, this is so unfair. I, I hate you, God. Why is, this, why is this happening to me? And they abandon God instead, those valleys. But, you know, sometimes when we're cruising in the green pastures as well, it's also as potentially dangerous, isn't it? Because when we cruise through life and we feel satisfied, sometimes we don't need God anymore. David could have seen his status, his kingship, his crown as all satisfying. He could have made it so he doesn't need God. But he saw past that, didn't he? I know the temptation for many of us is to ask God to remove all the valleys. Just give me the green pastures. Take away the moments of suffering and give us still waters. But God never promises that he won't give us valleys. The valleys are an experience everyone goes through to point us back to him. To show us how sovereign he is. To show us that he's the good shepherd. Valleys suck, yes. They do suck, but remember, they're only temporary. In fact, here's something interesting. Verse 3 says, he leads me down the right paths. Then right after in verse 4, it says, even if I go through the darkest of valleys. The path of righteousness, the right path for us, it requires walking through those dark valleys. King David knew that. Friends, I wonder, what is it that you're finding your comfort and confidence in? Through every season. The temptation, isn't it, is to find our confidence in, in the things around us. The temptation is to find it in our, in our marriages, in our investments, you know, in, in sex, in, 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 uh, in whatever thing that our devices that make us feel good because we hope that that will last. We hope that that shot of dopamine will last. What are we putting our faith and confidence when everything seems so temporary? Will moving from Brisbane to Melbourne really solve all our problems? <laughs> when we deal with our existential crisis in life, when distress and fears are at our doorstep, when we just want to escape or perhaps have to deal with the fear of death itself, where will our hearts find the confidence and hope that solid and lasts? Too often the things and the circumstances we trust in are just paper thin, aren't they? There are so many things out of our control. Our, our mental health takes a turn. We face injury or sickness. People hurt us. We can't control others. And we face this heartbreak or stress or loneliness. David says, I can have full confidence in my God, my shepherd, who leads me. And while King David could trust his God, we on this side of the cross, can't we even more so? We have seen that God, that God kept his word to not only protect but to save his people. 
I can have confidence in my security because not only have I experienced the presence of God in my daily life, but I know God walks with me through the good and the bad because he's already gone ahead of me. The psalm here is really to point us to the great shepherd, isn't it? To point us to the great shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. In John chapter 10, the verses, verse 11 says, I am, this is Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 14 and 15 of that chapter 10 as well, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the one who will lay down his life for the sheep. He'll walk us through every valley and care and comfort, and he'll care and comfort us. He is the one who David sings about. And even when we face the hardest of challenges, when we have to deal with the sin of our world, or all the brokenness that we deal with in our own hearts, Jesus, has, Jesus knows that. Jesus has gone ahead of us. He's dealt with every problem and gives us the cure. He died on the cross and by doing so provides a way to God so that our sin could be removed and our relationship with God restored. He walks through the valley before us, the darkest of valleys for me, the valley of sin and judgment and death, and he lives, raised to life so that we can have a shepherd who leads us to where abundant eternal life is found, the right path where our souls are refreshed, ultimately. Friends, can't we find, can you see that? Can you see the confidence that we can have in Jesus? The valleys that point us to God, to rely less on ourselves and more on Him. Taking step by step, following our Good Shepherd. As you come towards the end, you can notice this change in tone, can't you? There's this confidence as He turns to praise and thanks and and He speaks directly to God. He says, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. It's easy to think that believing God means I'm saved from death. Yes, that's true. But while that's worth celebrating, God actually offers us so much more too than just saving us from death. He then intimately and personally welcomes us into his house, into a relationship with him where we call him Father. He hosts us at his table. God, I, I get to sit now at your table, and even though I may be among my, the enemies around me, they see me whining and dining and enjoying the overflow of goodness that I get to experience in your presence. I get to have communion with God. I get to be in his presence, and in, in his presence there's nothing to fear. Even when the darkness is, surrounds me, even when if I feel like I'm drowning, this picture of anointing his head with oil, that, that cup that overflows, it's a picture again of abundance and blessing and provision. That better fried chicken, right? That's what we could expect. God wants that for us. He invites us to his table to enjoy that with him. Who or what will we fear? Faithful love pursues us. Death itself was dealt with by the shepherd we can trust. Jesus, the one who sacrificed his life for you out of sheer grace and mercy for undeserving people like you and I. And not only does he save us from our sin, he saves us to a relationship with God. From sin to a relationship. The shepherd doesn't just rescue us from death, he leads us to where abundant life is found. So we all need to pause and ask, is this Jesus the shepherd we're following? Do you realize this, the good that you're missing out without him if he's not? And if you are a Christian here today, if you, you are, if you do call Jesus your shepherd, are you trusting him? 
Are you letting him lead you in the green pastures or as you walk through the dark valleys as well? And people operate differently, I get that. And for, for you, when you struggle, you might turn to God out of desperation. It's only in the valleys you turn to God. But when you're, when you're cruising, oh, God is just a footnote in your life. Yeah, you rock up to church on Sundays. Yeah, you might call yourself a Christian. But besides that, God's just that footnote. For others here, you, you might, you, when things are going good, that's when you have a great relationship with God, Right? But when things are going bad, that's when you turn away. You start going to your devices, you throw yourself into work or gym or online shopping, whatever it is, to give you that temporary relief. Ask yourself today, ask your heart, are you letting Jesus lead you in how you live, in repentance and obedience, letting his word be a lamp to guide your path? Or do you not trust him? Do you not believe, verse 1, that you have everything you need in him and lack nothing? Are you the sheep that has gone astray to pursue a life with, without him because, well, he's simply just not enough. He's not satisfying. Have you told yourself that you know a path better than the shepherd? Have you, I think of that meme. Have you seen that meme online that, that there's a sheep that's in a ditch, he gets rescued out of the ditch, and the sheep just starts prancing away with freedom and joy, but then jumps straight back into the ditch? I think of that. Sheep are dumb. But that's me. I'm dumb sometimes too. I keep thinking that I know better than the good shepherd, but the sheep are dumb. I'm not calling anyone here dumb. But that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to say, but sheep are dumb. But if you're, if you're going astray, right, we need to come back to the shepherd. If we're going astray, we need to come back to the shepherd and see his goodness, his grace, and his provision. I think then, I think then it's, it's really quite intentional, the language of shepherd, isn't it? Which I hope we've picked up so far, it, that it shapes the relationship with God. Yes, we hear all these different ways of seeing God in the Bible. You know, he's our father and all that. But here, he's our shepherd. It's interesting. As children grow up, you know, we, we're less dependent on our earthly parents. You know, we become adults and we, we become, you know, independent. But when you think of sheep and a shepherd, they're always completely dependent on the shepherd. They never outgrow their, their need for the shepherd to care for them, to feed them, to lead them and protect them. The shepherd cares for the young and newborn, and the shepherd cares for the old and weak. All throughout the life of the sheep, they're following a shepherd. And I think that's intentional language here. There's an image of, of this, this sovereignty of this shepherd, this comprehensive sovereignty of the shepherd over the sheep. And the sheep that yields and surrenders entirely to his care, trusting in his sovereign power, knowing the shepherd is for our good. If you're new to Christianity, I know following in, in faith, following this God, it sounds scary at times. How do I truly know he's for my good? I mean, we're raised in a society to be self-sufficient, to be independent, which is good for our well-being and our survival. But as we grow and grow in independence and responsibility and life experiences, what do we discover? The external factors around us, we have no control over. We're, we're so dependent on the resources around us, on our jobs, on the economy, on our governments to make good decisions whether a, a microscopic virus will cause a pandemic and so many more things, right? They're out of our control. We need God because the mess is always going to be there. The valleys won't go away. And the more we see that there is one in control of the external around us, the more we see our need for him. It's in his sovereign loving hands we can joyfully and confidently lay our lives down in safety before him. He is worthy to be trusted. See his great love for you. 
I want to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to, to, to explore that more and to investigate that. Things will be hard in life. Sometimes things will be good. But see that the shepherd is sovereign over all those things. God is sovereign over all those things. And he wants good for you. I love how the psalm finishes. It says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the presence of God, he'll, we will be home. And, and the sense of home is, is so much more than, than a building with four walls, isn't it? When we think of home, what do you think of? What, what do you feel? Where does your mind go to? Perhaps a childhood memory? I, I'm in my late 30s now, and I think of home, and I still go back to this time when I was 10 years old. This time of innocence, really. I was on a road trip with my family. I've, I have five sisters, right? So there's six of us and my, eight of us. And we did this road trip from Brisbane to Melbourne, actually. And I was 10 years old. My dad had just bought this Toyota Land Cruiser, right, with eight seats, 90-94 model. And the whole way down, as a 10-year-old, uh, my teenage sisters, my older sisters, they were playing Tupac and Snoop Dogg and Gangster Rap, uh, uh, real OG stuff, right? And, 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 I was, uh, and I just remember that. And that was, that was home. That was our family just together on holidays, enjoying each other's presence. What do you think of as home for you? A time where you felt just trusted and loved, a time of innocence, a, a moment you felt so carefree before you became an adult and had responsibilities. <laughs> Adulting is hard, isn't it? Don't we wish for simpler times? Don't we miss those moments? We don't even have to you know, live in another country or another city to feel homesick because it's nostalgia. Nostalgia makes us feel homesick because we miss the good old times. But when you reflect on this psalm, we're pointed to an even greater home. Yes, nostalgia makes us miss our childhood. It makes us miss uh, the times with our friends when things were more innocent, all that stuff. But when you look at the psalm, we look forward, don't we? to an even better home. We're pointed to, to the presence of God. And David understands that. To be at home with God is to be in the presence of goodness and love, in the presence of the one who is trustworthy in our source of comfort and safety, green pastures with our Lord Jesus, where everything will be perfect, not just for a moment, but forever. So friends, as you climb the mountains, as you walk through the valleys, who or what will you put your confidence and trust in? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is our great shepherd who has gone before us, who leads us to green pastures and through the darkest of valleys. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, help us to trust him, help us uh, to, to surrender our lives, allowing him to lead us. I pray, Lord, that you'll, you'll help us to be a people, Lord, of uh, people of repentance and obedience, a people who uh, want to glorify your name above our own. And Lord, in, in doing so, we'll give glory to our great shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.